folks, Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Testing one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> you gonna do it? Say. Testing one, two, three. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience. This is Dr. Murray Selby. And I'm Giorgio Malou. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem, and the Health in Harlem podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to the BBL show, courtesy BBL. of <laughs> BBL, man. What That's what that, we're talking man? about tonight. I know what is that, right? It's a big question. You like that, right? Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, but yes, that that's it. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of cheesy, like maybe raunchy jokes uh, with this program, maybe. but it's going to be informative, though. I can guarantee you all that out there in the listening audience, um, you will leave here with good information especially when it comes to the bbl so and as a as a courtesy here ladies and gentlemen we've brought an expert on board to talk about that because me i don't know man i'm not the person you want talking to you about your bbl um, or your upcoming procedure but we do have doris hansen she, she is a surgical physician assistant out of canada and she is our expert for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And we'll talk about everything, everything we need to know when it comes to BBLs. Hello. I know some people are really out there like, yo, what is this BBL <laughs> BBL business that these people are talking about? But welcome, Doris. Hello. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to share some facts, some awareness about BBLs. And um, I'm, a, I'm a PA and I work in Toronto, Canada. And I work at the Toronto Cosmetic Institute of Plastic Surgery. It's also been termed uh, Six Surgery. And I work with the real Dr. Six. That's what's up. I like that. Ooh. That's like a promo. So now we have... <laughs> no, I love it. Have, I love it. We have two different mysteries now. Who is Dr. Six and what is a BBL? <laughs> yeah, so man. I'm, I think you're sworn into secrecy about the identity of Dr. Six, but... Uh, <laughs> As for as for the, it sounds the like a bond a bond villain though, for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, but I'm pretty sure he does great work. In this you case, he, he he's your friend. <laughs> so we got want Doctor Six operating on on my buttocks to to enhance it, right? I, I've heard he's had a, a pretty good uh, uh, track record 
And yes. I'm sure with you by his side, we're in good hands. So, so what, what would you guys be doing if I came into your office asking for a BBL? You gonna get a BBL, Giorgio, for real, bro? I, I always thought you were like pretty good, man. You're, you're, you're like good, you know. From I think we need to share guy, what a BBL is. <laughs> All right, word. what is? We'll start there. BBL. What okay, is yes. a BBL? So BBL stands for Brazilian butt lift, and it's actually not a lift at all. It takes fat from unwanted areas such as your abdomen or inner thighs or love handles, and it gets re-injected into your buttock area and hip hips. Got so it. there's no cutting. It's mostly it's mostly just transferring fat from one area to the next. So we're talking so like, that, that sounds like, like a dream, surgery right? stuff. Like that, yeah. Yeah. But but think about that. Like all the places I don't want it to all mm. the places I want it. That sounds mm -hmm. pretty good. I mean, it, it, what's the catch? <laughs> the catch is that it is actually surgery and um, there are risk factors that come into play with that. Mm, okay. So um, ladies and gentlemen, factors. so we're talking like buttock augmentation right or gluteal augmentation like this is real deal stuff then i thought yeah, we were talking about like enhancement is the is the term i've been preferring uh from my reading or but body yes, sculpting mm. <laughs> interesting yeah, it has a couple of different names but uh i i could see why people would want this yeah and and it shows in the numbers of of increased amount of surgeries requesting this and have been performed wow what are we talking? Do we have like any any statistics on it? Like, what's the growth looking like? I think every year annually has gone up by 90 percent since twenty twenty. So every year in the wow. U.S., it's gone up by ninety percent. The the request for uh, BBL. Wow. So in wow. twenty twenty, ladies and gentlemen, U.S. surgeons performed forty thousand butt augmentation procedures. That brought in $140 million worth of revenue. This is according to the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. And yeah, man, 90% increase from 2015 to 2019. And I mean, what is behind this? Behind this? <laughs> Let me stop. Anyway. <laughs> but no, why though, right? I mean, this is a staggering increase in a very short period of time. Um, so any ideas? Doris, as to what what's happening here? Why are we seeing these, these tremendous increases in the number of these surgeries taking place in the country and really around the world? I think there are, I think there are a number of factors. Um, one is um, social media and what we see in celebrities' um, body types that can be trending currently. And the other thing is access to surgeons that can perform these surgeries. So mm. more and more plastic surgeons are offering these to patients. And you know, I mean, that's just one thing. One one staggering statistic for me that really stood out um, on TikTok, the hashtag, hashtag BBL has garnered more than 3.7 billion views, right? So we're talking billions wow. uh, of views. <laughs> we are talking 200,000 times per month that BBL was searched uh, between January and May, 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess people had a lot of downtime during that time, Boy, right? That was during some of the lockdowns was... with COVID. Um, and so people just searching BBLs. I guess you're on social media all the time and seeing all of this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And so another, I think, reason for 
this increase, man. This is huge. Um, and I'm sure the number is actually a, a bit higher mm. because we're, we're talking about just Google alone. So I'm sure once you add in all the other social media uh, platforms and other search engines, uh, we could be looking at a, a much, a substantially higher number. But it, you know what's what's interesting too, and and one thing that I want to sort of put out there as we go on in this conversation, just really to get people thinking about, right, how real this is and what is behind it, um, is that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are probably already turned off. Like, well, you know, it's because people are superficial, right? Everybody's centered on looks, and um, mm -hmm. we have people that are chasing the aesthetic of, or at least what is purported to be beauty in the eyes of men. Um, I was actually reading a lot of articles about women's experiences in getting these procedures done. Um, and some of them were coming out of relationships, right, where their partner expressed views on this saying, hey, that's what I like. You know, you would be a better partner if you had, you know, this procedure done or if you had a bigger buttocks, that's, whatever. That's the wrong reason to get to get any type of cosmetic surgery, not just BBLs. But yeah, that's the... That's the wrong idea to go about this or and to put yourself at risk for that. Yes. But then you do have a, a subset of women who, right, for various reasons are getting this procedure done. We have mm -hmm. social media influencers, right, whose income, right, they're basically, right, how they eat and survive. Mm -hmm. um, this is dependent on that. We have women that are in the beauty industry um, and I actually uh, came across some articles just talking about business owners. And they were saying it, look, this is marketing for my business, right? For me to have this procedure done the way that I look, this is, you know, contributing to my increased sales or the way that I market my company. Um, and so there is more. And now, right, we do. I know there's people out there are probably going to say, well, still, that points towards this being sort of a superficial thing. But the, the reason why I make that point is that fortunately or unfortunately, this is going to be the trend for, I would say, the foreseeable future, right? Um, mm -hmm. And one thing that we do need to understand, and we're going to talk about this more in the program, ladies and gentlemen, is that as Doris pointed out, this is a surgical procedure, which entails risk. Any procedure in medicine entails risks. And when we talk about surgery, we always want to go about, uh, one, making this decision, right, making an informed decision about a procedure like this. But if we are going to go through with this, um, which we see from the numbers, there are going to be um, a lot of people that are going to have this procedure done. Let's just face the facts, right? Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that they do so in a safe way. And that's why I say um, all of that, because I, I agree with some of the, the right views um, in terms of why people are having this done. I think there are other ways to um, improve your look, however, whatever it may be, right? And, and safer ways, but there are people that are going to have this procedure done and we want to make sure that they have the information they need to do so safely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with what you hear now, as far as the mortality rate um, associated with this um, elective procedure. Mm. From what uh, I understand, it's it's the highest mortality rate out of all cosmetic surgeries. Wow. Is that still the case, Doris? It is. It's still the case um, as far as the highest out of compared to all the other cosmetic surgeries. But the mortality rate has decreased over the past several years. Uh, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons has created safety guidelines and has provided more training and more hands-on experience for plastic surgeons. But there are still, but there are still cases of that happening. Mm. 
So can you explain for us what the surgery actually entails? Uh, I mean, we, we said, we discussed it broadly, but mm -hmm. specifically, what are the, what are the parts of this procedure? Um, so the first thing is that, you know, not everyone is surgical candidate. Um, we base it, every surgeon has their selection of what type of patients are good candidates for BBLs. Um, we want someone who is healthy otherwise, like no immuno, not immunocompromised, non-insulin dependent diabetics, uh, BMI, usually less than 30. Can you explain and, the BMI, what that is um, briefly? Yeah. So BMI stands for body mass index, and it's a scale that um, uses your height and weight to determine uh, your your health or what we categorize as being overweight or obese. So usually people who are obese by the BMI scale um, have a higher likelihood of any surgery, not just BBLs, of any surgery being performed of risks of infection and uh, wound healing issues. So essentially, you, you, not anybody should be, right, from the jump, um, not everybody right. is the person that would be the best mm -hmm. in terms of having mm -hmm. this surgery performed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also, also the plastic surgical technique, you want to go to someone who is experienced, not just in BBLs, but actually in liposuction, because that's a majority of the surgery is liposuction. Mm -hmm. um, and liposuction involves, you know, large cannulas entering into the subcutaneous fat of your abdomen. And so if they, if you have the wrong surgeon performing this, then, you know, that cannula can easily go into the intra-abdominal cavity and cause like a perforation in your lungs or in your heart or in your organs. So that could go, this is even before the fat transfer, you know, this is just obtaining the fat to get transferred. So there's a risk factor there. Um, and then once that is completed safely, then the fat can be injected into the buttock region. But this is, this is where I think a lot of the mortality rates gets contributed because if the fat is injected in the wrong area, then it could potentially lead to what they call like a fat embolism or a fat clot. So similar to a blood clot in your legs that can travel up to your heart and cause death, this is actually fat getting injected into the blood vessel, traveling up to your heart and causing death, immediate death. So... So Doris, when, when they're injecting it, where, like, what's the target versus what's the wrong area? Is there something that they're yeah. supposed to kind of do? That's a great question because it sounds like Maurice Donovan Selby. I could do this like for real, for real in my living room. Um, if you gave me some, <laughs> some large cannulas, ladies and gentlemen, so just a couple of big tubes, you know, I'd make a little incision, put that in the belly and suck it out and put it in the, I mean, it sounds simple. So there has to be more to it. I don't know. There is more to it. <laughs> I'll give myself my own BBL right now. No, I don't think I need. I don't. Well, I don't got that much fat. I don't know where I'd get the this fat is, from, but this is part of the problem. <laughs> Not just anyone can do it. Even though, even though you know, even myself, I've seen it a bunch of times. I've assisted mm -hmm. with it. I would, I would never do perform. I would never feel capable of performing that because it's really a huge risk and. Um, so yeah, they have to inject it through a certain access point in the buttock region. Um, it's kind of where your almost where your tailbone is. 
It's called the posterior superior iliac spine, and they inject that above the muscle and into the fatty space. And they could inject it into the hip area as well. Um, but if you go below the muscle, then you're entering the danger zone. So, Sorry, so in the danger zone, uh, the fat would be able to, to enter the bloodstream, you're saying? Or what happens well, if it goes under the muscle? Well, if it goes under the muscle, then that means that your cannula went under the muscle and that can cause damage to the vessel. And, and you don't even have to inject into the vessel directly. You could, if you damage any of the vessel or tear any of the vessel, then the fat can go into the vessel and then travel mm. upwards. Do you have any idea as far as the success rates with this? Because I'm assuming, you know, it, like we said, it, for, yeah. as you said, it's surgery. And we want to make sure, one, that we have good candidates, meaning healthy people that could withstand the surgery um, and even endure the recovery period and have their desired results. But then I think there are probably obviously cases that don't go so well. Is that correct? Yeah, it depends on, um, you know, how much you can expand the the skin around the buttock area for everyone it's a little bit different some people like their skin is tightly adhered down to the muscle so it's hard to inject into those areas and expand um and some people can have like you know fat necrosis where not all of the fat survives and parts of the fat will die and it can cause indentations into the buttock area um but for majority of people i think they're at a, when you're, when they're going or thinking about getting surgery, they're at a point where, you know, anything would be better than what they currently have. Mm. And I think there is some improvement throughout, even if it's just from the, the liposuction part, Every, everyone well, varies because we don't know when we initially inject, we don't know how much of the fat will survive. We tend to mm -hmm. over inject because we estimate about 30 to 40% of the fat will survive. Um, whoa, so whoa, 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 whoa. let's, let's just run that back. I know. What do you what do you mean by fat <laughs> surviving? So, like any graft, like a skin graft, for instance, um, there's always a risk, or like um, or most commonly, uh, like an organ transplant, for instance. There's always a risk factor that that organ may not survive in its new in its new surroundings. So, for the fat to be transferred into a new place. Um, it doesn't have an, it's a live organism and it doesn't have any vessels that you have to connect, but, um, mm. through the, you know, through oxygenation from the surrounding cell, viable cells, then that's how it survives. So, but even still, most of it doesn't survive. So wait a minute, it just got more complicated, right? <laughs> because Maurice said he was ready to do this in his living room <laughs> right here. Um, but now we're talking about the fat surviving we are talking about yeah. making sure that this fat is injected into the right areas, right? We have mm -hmm. this sort of muscle layer, our gluteal muscles, and above that, we have our fat and subcutaneous tissue. And this stuff has to get into the right place, one, to increase the chances of survival, but also we worry about the, the look of things too, right? So making sure that the skin is appropriate and that there's enough and suturing or sewing that back up. I mean, it got real complicated, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Um, so you mean... That it's not guaranteed that that hourglass figure, that's not guaranteed? Because, I mean, yeah. how much do you just cost? That's the, the big, how much are we yeah. shelling out I, for I a think, BBL these days? I think from social media, the expectation of BBLs is like, you know, you know, yeah, 
you go into the plastic surgical office, you do like a one hour procedure, you're in and out, and then that's the end of it. And, you know, but there's a lot that goes into it and it's a huge commitment to make. Um, the cost of it, it varies, um, but it can range anywhere from 15,000 to 25,000, depending on where you are and, and who you go to. Um, and also wow. your own BMI, actually. we For some, some plastic surgeons will charge more for higher BMI because so, mm. it's, it's a lot more work. And then the whole commitment of it is not just the surgery and you're done. It usually takes about three, three to four hours, again, depending on the surgeon. And then afterwards is the recovery and post-op care. So that was the cost of just the surgery itself. And then there's post-op garments that you have to purchase, um, you know, a BBL booty pillow because you can't sit on your butt or put pressure on that, on that fat. For about six weeks, you have to go for post-op massages to make sure to to even out any contour deformities in the after liposuction in the abdomen. So there's a huge there's a lot of that goes into it. It's not just one and done. And let's let's look good for the summertime, you know. So it's not <laughs> that's, like that's my, the wrong mindset. <laughs> my daughter just got the magic mixie. Have you guys heard about that or had to like buy it for like nieces and nephews or something? All right. Anyway, this thing is was like the hit gift. <laughs> for the holiday season somehow we escaped the pressure of buying that um for my daughter during the holidays last year and she finally got one right and she was like super excited and this thing um it's like a cauldron big cauldron and then sort of mist comes out of it and out emerges like or, or this little doll it looks like the thing from gremlins um the mogwai it looks exactly like that but anyway um, that thing emerges after the mist and, and you have to, it, before that she has to put like little potion packet things in there and it makes this mist and then out pops the doll. Um, <laughs> but this sounds way more complicated than that. Yeah. So it's not a magic not. mixie, unfortunately. You don't want to be jumping into any cauldron anytime soon. <laughs> Got it. That does sound like it has its own wrist too. Um, so this is not magic, ladies and gentlemen. That's the thing. Um, and I think we need to really understand about this is that this is surgery, right? This is a surgical procedure, um, as we said, entails um, not only the benefits, right? Um, mm -hmm. We definitely see individuals that have seemingly had great outcomes um, mm -hmm. as far as their appearance and, and individuals that will tell you they are happy with having had this procedure done. And you know what I would say on Health in Harlem, we are happy for them, happy that they're happy. Uh, but then we do have cases that right the expectations are not met um so they might not have the aesthetic outcome that they were looking for and those cases are documented as well um and then we have the tragic cases uh where things happen such as the fat emboli or the fat embolism which we've acknowledged can be deadly right there are women that die from this this is um as my colleagues have stated the cosmetic procedure with the highest complication rate um, in a study done in 2017, they found that one out of one of to two out of every 6,000 BBLs resulted in death. That's the highest, right? You can compare it to everything else, breast augmentation, um, mm -hmm. uh, facial surgeries and plastic surgeries on the face, all these other, even liposuction itself and tummy tucks, all these things um, are not nearly as risky. Um, and then we're not even talking about the things, right? This is what I see in the emergency department. Um, the infections, the individuals that are coming yeah. in with poor wound healing, the individuals that are coming in with um, some of them even just expected, right, post-surgery um, 
let's say complications or difficulties, everything from draining wounds to wounds that are coming apart, opening up. Um, and unfortunately, right, this is a procedure that we're seeing when it comes to medical tourism, right, individuals traveling to other places to have this surgery done. Yeah. Uh, many times because of price reductions, right, they can get it done yeah. cheaper somewhere else, um, sometimes in other countries where there's less regulation um, and, and individuals going overseas. Well, guess what? When you come back from overseas, wherever you had this performed, right? I'm not your surgeon and getting a surgeon to come and fix whatever was done, especially if it's not an emergency, um, then we have a lot of problems, ladies and gentlemen. And so yes, absolutely. this is not a willy nilly decision, right? To go and get this, this is not just your sort of, I'm going in to get my Manny Petty type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, that's a huge point that you brought up, brought up Dr. Shelby. Traveling abroad to get BBLs at a reduced cost, you have to be really prepared because you have to think about all the risk factors that go into any surgery. And then infection is a huge one. Sometimes people get admitted to hospitals for IV antibiotics because of infection. And if you're in a foreign country and you don't have access to that, or um, you're not really sure what to do, or you leave the country, like you said, uh, prematurely and, and now are back at home and you go, you get treated for the infection. However, the aftermath of the infection is, is now an issue. Which can affect not only wound healing, right? And, and how things sort of come out as far as the ultimate end result of the surgery. But then that also can be something that can be uh, life-threatening or lead to serious disability. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just these, these things that we really need to think about, ladies and gentlemen, as we talk about BBLs, right? I know people probably were excited when they when they looked at this program. The title of the program <laughs> was like, well, good, right? Maybe they were interested in it and want to learn about it. But that's the thing that we hoped in, not to be Debbie Downers, right? We always say that on Health in Harlem, um, because I think we give a good dose <laughs> of reality checks on this show. Um, but that's what we have to do uh, when we talk about this procedure, ladies and gentlemen, is really just understand exactly what this is. So uh, speaking of exactly what this is, if I was to come in or once I have the idea that I want to get a BBL, so yeah. I go on to Instagram and scrolling through um, on the Kardashians uh, uh, Instagram. And before you know it, I feel inspired. I want to get that. <laughs> so I come to you and and I say, how do I look like that, Doc? Now, what happens next? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if you come to us and you state those reasons as to why you want to get the surgery, I think we'd probably decline you as Well, first as a of all, Giorgio, first of all, I'm going to correct you because- <laughs> Decline before you walk in the door. <laughs> first of all, I'm going to correct you, Giorgio, because Kim Kardashian says that she did not have a BBL, and that is totally natural. Oh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I know I'm I being a jerk. Blessed naturally, <laughs> and so uh, I'm, I'm just saying, how may I obtain such assets? Um, and, and so, <laughs> and so, I show up to the clinic, and let's say I have better reasons. How would you start to to screen me, or where where do we go from that? Do we just schedule the date? No, we do a full like health history, uh, past medical history, your social history. So if you're a smoker um, of any of any kind or any type of drugs, like we take that into account. Usually after that process. Why does that, so why would that affect the success of my gluteal enhancement? So if you're a tobacco smoker, it can affect the survival rate of the fat. 
Hmm. And then other types of smoking, such as like cannabis. I guess that would be the only other type. I don't know. Uh, cannabis. Well, there's many canna- things to be smoked, but, <laughs> but cannabis is probably chief among them. <laughs> so cannabis has an effect, not just on the surgery itself, as far as like your pain tolerance is concerned, but actually with anesthesia. So you require anesthesiologists have to give you more medication in order to keep you asleep uh, during the surgery. So it's important you're completely honest about any type of drug use, tobacco use. It's it's really important so that way the healthcare provider can make sure it's safe for you to undergo this surgery. That's important to note, I'm assuming, for any time you go under. So uh, good thing we brought that up. Uh, yeah. So wait a minute. You know. I was coming in for a BBL, right? You're supposed to fix the problem. Now you're telling me that I should have you know, maybe some of these things together as far as like my diet and exercise and um, all of these things in order my weight right down a BMI under 30. Um, no, mm-hmm. that's not what I'm here for. You're supposed <laughs> to fix that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people try to gain weight once their surgery is scheduled. And that's, we actually don't advise that at all. It just, oh, they're thinking more fat, factors. more fat right, to transfer. Right. To get a better when, when to begin with, well, we usually have enough fat to get transferred into um, each buttock, and it can range depending. You don't really need to gain weight. The important thing is to eat healthy and stay hydrated uh, to help your immune system during your recovery. That's the most important thing. There have been some people that do vitamin drips or recommend vitamin drips for sat- fat survival, but there's no really statistical evidence that shows that's been proven. So I wouldn't rely on that. I would rely on your diet and exercise so, to keep you up. So is there any kind of diet or exercise plan that one should begin while preparing for a BBL? Yeah, you want to be in a healthy lifestyle before you even go into a BBL because your body will be changing, but also you have to maintain that body shape and size too. It's not just you go back into the plastic surgeon every couple of years, every time you want more liposuction. Mm. It's something that you have to consider in the long run too, because you're changing your body completely. So you have to consider how it's going to change as you get older. So now that you've screened me, and yes. what, what, what happens next? Uh, what's my next step? You pay us. <laughs> okay. And so, so no, wait, what about my insurance? Yeah, the- money, money <laughs> I got great insurance. Front. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever had so, any patients that have gotten approved for BBL with insurance? Does that happen ever? So currently in Canada, no, the insurance, the provincial insurance here does not cover any type of cosmetic surgeries. In the States, however, uh, I, I think I think certain things can be covered, but not a BBL. Dr. Selby, you, you, you can answer this one. <laughs> but I, I think... Right. I'm not an insurance expert, ladies and gentlemen, but I will tell you if if there are any approvals out there for um, a cosmetic procedure like this, it would be an uphill battle. Right. Um, and those cases are going to be very uh, few and far between that do get approval. So a lot of this you're coming out of your pocket. Just face it. Um, some and individuals a, financial a, loans, but you're somehow paying um, this price. Right. You are putting forth cash out of your pocket um, to have this done. Mm-hmm. It's not a life or death surgery, so it's out of pocket. Wow. So now, assuming I somehow scrap the money together, uh, you know, I get my, my 
fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars together, and I don't go to Miami or another chop shop or a different country just to get this done for cheaper, but I stick to my my safer options. So fifteen to twenty-five. Now what? Um, so then paid. I've been. Screaming. He puts the money in cash on the table. <laughs> He's ready to go. We usually book you in for a surgery, and then we do like a few weeks before we kind of do another background check to make sure everything is still in place as far as your physical health, if there's any new changes or updates or new medications that we need to know about. And it sounds like there's a, is there a gap in between those two appointments? It sounds like. Yeah. So typically there's a waiting period. (laughs) Uh, It just depends on the clinic that you go to. Sometimes it could be like one month. It could be three months right now. I think we're booking out three months in advance. So this can't be and that varies. It can't be like in the spur of the moment. All right. A dare. Um, well, no surgery should be spur of the moment. You should have really thought this over for many years. I dare you, Georgie. We lost a dare. You gotta get BBL. <laughs> um, um, actually, so, men so do I, BBLs I, as well. So, just of so you course, know. of course. Um. So now I, I've thought about it. I've waited. We have the scheduled date. Day mm-hmm. comes. Anything that I need to do the day before? So the day before, um, well, actually a few days before, um, you have to refrain from taking any type of anti-inflammatory. So no aspirins, no Advils, Aleves, um, anything that could thin the blood. Um, this includes herbal supplements. Um, so none of that and, or no vitamins either. Um, just, just because we're not sure, you know, every everything can be a little bit off. So we're not sure if that could interact with the surgery or how, how much bleeding that can occur during the surgery. And then the day of the night before the surgery, you have to be fasting. So you can't have any type of solid foods and no liquids after a certain time. Usually it's 12 hours um, before your surgery is scheduled. And I remember you Dora saying that there were people that you've had to turn away because they, yeah, eating something or they had like a, a shake, you know, a green yeah. shake or something before, right before they're supposed to go <laughs> in for the procedure. Yeah. So we've had instances where they show up on the surgical day where we've, you know, scheduled them. We've set out time from our schedule and the anesthetist schedule. And, you know, we're almost ready to go. But then they, they say that they just had a shake or something to drink two hours before the surgery or three hours before the surgery, thinking that they could have liquids. Um, and that's actually not the case. Um, so we had to, you know, reschedule them and they had to pay a rescheduling fee. And what's and the fear there? What's that? So what's the fear there? Why, why are people oh, not allowed? Oh, and anesthetic risk. So anytime you're undergoing anesthesia, you have to make sure your airway is patent. And if you have, eaten anything beforehand or drank anything beforehand, there's a risk factor of um, that food or fluid going up through the esophagus into the lung space. And mm-hmm. you can get, yeah. You swallow your vomit, basically, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. So as far you as, choke. um, yeah, you choke on your vomit, which is, I mean, if you talk about horrible deaths, and that's one of the biggest risks, right, with any procedure, ladies and gentlemen, is just undergoing anesthesia. anesthesia. Not to mention the risk of the procedure, as we said, um, transferring that fat and the fat emboli, but you have mm-hmm. to get through anesthesia before you can even start the procedure. Um, mm-hmm. You got to tolerate the anesthesia. Quick question. Is this under general anesthesia? 
Yes. Um, or okay. So you're Generalist, totally yeah. out, ladies and gentlemen. You are mm-hmm. right out to the world. Um, they're doing everything from for you essentially, um, as far as your vital functions, breathing for you, and yeah, keeping you, you safe. Flip, so that's we really, have to flip you over. Because I know, and I just gotta shout those people out, right? I gotta put you on the spot out there because we know there are people out there that are like, well, you know what? I'm just gonna drink my green smoothie anyway and not tell them. Uh, but right. guess what? You put yourself at risk doing that. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Totally bad idea. Um, you talk about your investment, your 25 grand going down a drain and you losing your life by swallowing mm-hmm. your vomit. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's actually a vomit. bigger, a big fear is uh, anesthesia. People always are afraid of um, either feeling the surgery while they're asleep or mm-hmm. um, not waking up from anesthesia. So that's that's one of the common anxiety, anxiety mm-hmm. fears. Don't do it to yourself. So we got to honor that uh, fasting before the surgery, the night before the surgery, nothing by mouth, Absolutely. including liquids, um, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so did we get to the day of the surgery yet? I don't know. Are we? Yeah, there? we're at the we're day of the surgery. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. we're there. And and uh, Giorgio did the fasting, did everything that he was told. Yep. Great quit, job, Giorgio. Quit the, quit the smoking two weeks ago. And Word. anesthesia I know, has I know there's him. a reason. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason for this all, and I'm following the science. His blood work, blood work came back normal, and the surgery can proceed. All right. Uh, so now what happens? How many incisions are there? That's what I'm worried about. I don't like being cut. Um, so there's different areas that we can liposuction, and it just depends on what area you want liposuction. And, and every area has an additional cost, of course. So um, you can liposuction. The com- most common areas are the abdomen. So the upper abdomen, the lower abdomen. So that's divided by the belly button and then like the flanks. So those are your love handles. You can get your mom's lipoed. You can get your inner thighs lipoed, the front of your thighs lipoed, the side of your thighs lipoed. You can get your arms lipoed. Um, But usually people have enough fat just in the abdominal area and the flank area. Um, And so after you've taken that fat out, then we just throw it into the the patient over. (laughs) Then we flip the patient over. We have to reprep and make sure everything is sterile and then redrape the patient. We can, once they're um, um, laying down on their bellies, we can now get a better view of how much of the the flanks is carved out from liposuction. So a lot of it is not just the injection, but it's actually removing, you know, the love handles to give you more of that contour. So by removing the love handles and taking it in, it actually gives you the illusion of, not the illusion, but the actual like wider hips or like a bigger bigger butt like that true hourglass figure that yeah so when you take when yeah when you take that area in the bottom part appears to be a larger so once that's done then we then we can start injecting the fat the fat is prepared um with antibiotics too we mix in antibiotics and i I don't know if a lot of other plastic surgeons do that but we do that at our clinic those are some things you can ask the plastic surgical office that you choose to have the bbl done in do they put antibiotics? What is the recovery like uh, hmm. postoperatively? What kind of follow-up do they have? Like, can you get in touch with someone right away if you need anything or have any questions? Typically in our patients, we put a drain in and the drain helps to get any accumulation of any fluids that sometimes can happen with a lot of liposuction. So it prevents like a seroma, which is like a pocket of fluid from forming. And that can actually lead to an infection on its, on its own. Mm. So we usually put it in a drain. Um, but I don't, again, I don't know what other plastic um, offices do with their BBLs. So, so as involved a procedure as this is, you know, going from mm-hmm. start to finish and 
you know, from the initial consultation, um, the waiting period, um, and obviously mm-hmm. the procedure itself, everything, the anesthesia, right? Mm-hmm. There is a lot going on here. And when we talk about this, I would say tremendously costly investment, you know, we just did a whole bunch of landscaping here um, at our house um, that yeah. we just bought. And it is, right, this exceeds the cost or the BBL exceeds the cost of all the stuff mm-hmm. that we've been doing. And that's why I'm astonished. I'm just like, wow, how, mm-hmm. you know, how much uh, how much resources people are putting toward this. Um, and yeah. so in order to get the best return on your investment, um, and especially when we talk about safety, right, even above that, if you ask me, um, mm-hmm. how do we select the individual or the team that is going to do this. Um, and I think we've kind of talked about it, right? There are mm-hmm. obviously many people performing this procedure, 40,000 uh, of these procedures performed in the country in 2020, right? So mm-hmm. um, there's not one person that's knocking these out, obviously. Um, there are many surgeons that one can shop for, but how do we select somebody that is going to get this done and get it done right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... One, you're looking for a board certified plastic surgeon. And I think sometimes that can get mixed up on social media as like a cosmetic surgeon, um, which is not a well, there's a difference between cosmetic surgeon and then cosmetic plastic surgeon. Um, and then you can go on to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, and they actually, I think they have names of plastic surgeons that that can do this surgery safely. And then there's also WAGS, which is the World Association of Gluteal Surgeons. And it's a committee for BBLs and they're committed to safety. Um, and, and there are also names and links and resources that you can use to find a plastic surgeon in your area that can perform mm-hmm. the surgery safely, which is the most important thing. And then I wouldn't really use, you can check out websites and things like that, but social media, as far as like Instagram is concerned, um, unless they're showing you the actual surgery, I, I mean, a lot of, you have to be careful of fake accounts or phony accounts. Just be careful of that because social media, a lot of it is not even regulated. So people can post things all the time and, and mm-hmm. pretend to be someone that they're not. So even though they may have a huge following and, and you know, catchy videos, um, don't don't fall into that. You want to make sure that you're going to someone who's board certified and has experience in this. And then once that's done, then you can actually even talk to the members of their team and and see what it's like once you're like your feelings once you get into the actual clinic for the consultation part. And ladies and gentlemen, I would also say too, just looking at websites, you know, aside from social media. We got to be careful, right? Because we will mm-hmm. see those before and after pictures, which look great. And you know what? Um, I think with somebody of the caliber that Doris is talking about, a cosmetic plastic surgeon um, or a surgeon that has certifications in both plastic and cosmetic surgery, which we will make that distinction real fast um, shortly. But right aside from that, right, they're putting up their best work on those sites mm-hmm. um, with these practices. So, yeah, you'll see the before and after pics. They look great. Um, but we got to do a little bit more digging when it comes to uh, selecting who is going to do this procedure. Now, one thing we do have to understand going into this in order to be informed consumers, uh, we do have to understand that there's a big difference between plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery. Uh, plastic surgery is mainly aimed at not just uh, the appearance or co- the aesthetic outcome, but also the functional outcome. 
Um, and so we see a lot of plastic surgery geared around reconstruction, um, around fixing what hand uh, was the result of, yeah, exactly, hand surgery or actual right dysfunction of an organ or a system. Um, the, the plastic surgery is aimed at fixing, right, not only the appearance, um, but also the function of these burns. structures yeah. and body systems. Yes, burns, for instance. Um, so reconstructive surgery uh, for burns or skin grafts to fix burns, breast augmentation um, or reconstruction for individuals that have breast cancer, right? Um, that had mm -hmm. mastectomies, exactly. Um, but then when we look at cosmetic surgery, we are talking about something that is purely for appearances, right? For aesthetic outcomes. Um, and so there's a big distinction there. And with that distinction comes a distinction in the training of surgeons. Um, and when we mm -hmm. look at cosmetic surgeons, for instance, um, these are individuals that all required residency training or training after medical school um, in a surgical specialty. So they can be from ophthalmologists, they can be from obstetrics and gynecology, um, they can also be from orthopedics, for instance. Um, whereas plastic surgeons, these are individuals that did residency in uh, usually general surgery, um, but then they also did some additional training in plastic surgery and then did their training in cosmetic surgery. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're talking about a big difference when we talk about um, the training that these individuals um, undergo. So, you know, I'm pretty sure there are some excellent cosmetic surgeons with some other training out there, but, you know, definitely want to be able to know sort of the background and qualification. Where they went to school, where they yeah. did their residency. Where they did their residency. What training. they did their residency in. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now, to be clear, ladies and gentlemen, plastic surgery training is completed through a postgraduate residency program. Essentially, physicians who become board certified in plastic surgery are required to complete one of the two following routes of training. They either do an integrated residency training program that combines three years of general surgery and three years of plastic surgery, or they do an independent five-year residency program in general surgery, followed by a three-year plastic surgery residency program. Now, let's understand that residency programs in plastic surgery may include cosmetic surgery as a portion of the surgeon's training, but they typically do not include training on every cosmetic procedure. Now, let's compare and contrast that with cosmetic surgery training. Currently, there are no residency programs in the United States devoted exclusively to cosmetic surgery. Thus, cosmetic surgery training is completed after residency training in a fellowship program that is devoted exclusively to cosmetic surgery. Each surgeon that is certified by the American Board of Cosmetic Surgery has completed a one-year Academy American Academy of Cosmetic Surgery certified fellowship, and they are trained exclusively in all cosmetic procedures during that period. This includes all procedures of the face, breast, and body, plus non-surgical cosmetic treatments, and they perform a minimum of 300 individual cosmetic surgery procedures. Now, this is in contrast to the training requirements of the American Board of Plastic Surgery, where in addition to doing things like hand surgery, reconstructive surgery, trauma surgery, congenital defects and repairs, 
and other disorders. And during that time, they were required to do 150 cosmetic surgery procedures in order to sit for their certification examination. So to summarize, individuals certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, once again, they did residency training and they completed a fellowship in plastic surgery, which required them to do 150 cosmetic surgery procedures. And this is in contrast to the American Board of Cosmetic Surgery, which required training categories in all cosmetic surgical procedures, as well as doing 300 cosmetic surgery procedures required to sit for the certification exam. And with that said, probably the best combination, ladies and gentlemen, is an individual that has both certifications, both from the American Board of Plastic Surgery with the cosmetic training that comes from that, but also an individual certified by the American Board of Cosmetic Surgery because then they have that more focused training in cosmetic surgical procedures. Um, again, 300 plus cosmetic surgery procedures required for that certification. Um, so ladies if, and gentlemen, if you can find somebody with that combination of skills, plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery, you will probably be getting the best bang for your buck. So just something to be on the lookout for, and we will actually post a link in the show notes um, so you can understand that sort of distinction um, as you go forward. But other things that we really need to look for when we talk about selecting a surgeon the surgeon should be skilled at liposuction, right? As Dora said, that is a huge portion of the surgery. So a person that is skilled in liposuction, um, that has the adequate training um, in liposuction, that's who we want. We also want a surgeon that can address specific uh, issues. Um, so, right, if you have specific goals or you want a specific look or outcome, you should have a surgeon that is able to accommodate or meet those goals for you. Um, also, you want somebody that is going to answer your questions, right? Um, when you go in, again, being an informed consumer, we want you to ask questions about their training, right? We want you to be able to ask questions about their rates um, as far as their outcomes, right? Rates of complications, rates of death, um, if any. Um, those are things that can be made available to you that are your right to have that information um, as a patient, if they don't want to give it to you, then you move on.com. You find somebody else um, that will provide that information for you to make sure that you are getting the best bang for your buck and that you are going to be safe. And then also we want to look for experience. Um, so one question mm -hmm. that I think we really ought to ask is how many procedures has this person done in the past, right? You don't want to show up to Maurice Selby's office and you ask... <laughs> Uh, like I said, I'm more than willing to do it. I mean, I'm not a cosmetic surgeon. I'm not even going to go there. But yeah, um, I, I yeah, think even I'll further, how many, how many, yeah, how many, how many do they do like per month or per week? Um, mm -hmm. If it's something that's done commonly throughout the um, practice. Yes. And so that's what you want to want to make sure that you ask those questions um, as you go in um, or at least as you look for a person that is going to or a practice that is going to do this procedure for you. Yeah, I would say you shouldn't feel shy about asking them, you know, what training have they had and how many years of experience. I think we actually want to hear that from the patient because we know that they are taking this seriously and they're looking and they're considering their health first and foremost and safety. So, so that's a good thing. So don't ever be embarrassed to come forward and ask those questions. 
And, and one more thing I would add is just to, and, and Doris, I think you alluded to this earlier, was that the importance of doing this in a place that is accessible to you, right? Not only obviously for the day of the surgery, um, but also going forward, right? As far as your recovery, um, as far mm -hmm. as dealing with complications, you don't want to be on the other side of the earth um, mm -hmm. when, right, mm -hmm. something goes wrong or you have a question. Um, I've definitely had patients that came in, you know, with basic questions about care um, mm -hmm. after their procedure um, that, you know, unfortunately, they were not able to reach the office or the surgeon that did their procedure. Um, yeah, that's a and, red flag. <laughs> yeah, it's a red, huge red flag. And that's the thing is that we we definitely want to make sure that you are that you have those individuals accessible to you. Um, I would argue that aside from and I understand the cost um, behind this, but part of that getting the best bang for your buck, right, is mm -hmm. um, that you kind of get what you pay for with mm -hmm. a lot of things. That's something that I've learned, learned or seen, you know, as a general theme mm -hmm. throughout my life. And I think mm -hmm. when it comes to BBLs, especially if you got somebody, you know, charging five grand for this, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Correct me, Doris, if I'm wrong, but I'm no, just saying. I, I would somebody say with a real, with, with, yeah, somebody that seems to have a real bargain price, you might want to ask more questions or do a little bit more detective work to see yeah. what is going on with that, right? Because um, this is yeah, your if, life if we're going really under market, square. exactly. If they're really going under market, right, there might be some co corners that are being cut or some things that are happening that either mm -hmm. put your uh, recovery and your outcomes, um, mm -hmm. but even your safety at risk. That's something that we mm -hmm. definitely need to um, understand, right? It's not all about getting a deal, quote unquote. Um, mm -hmm. It's really understanding, you know, why those costs are significantly reduced and whether or not, um, you know, that practice or that individual is doing things to make sure to make that price maybe even artificially low, right? Where corners are being cut. Maybe they don't have the staff, the adequate staff to take care of you in the operating room. And God forbid something happens. Or you're the in trouble. sterility. Yeah. Or, the ster or something wrong. with the supplies. Yeah. Something is going mm -hmm. on. So we really need to not just look at the prices, but look at the quality of what we're getting when it comes to this surgery and really any cosmetic procedure or surgery, elective surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to add, um, uh, and, and there's also the cost of the garments that you need post-op, the fahas and, and whatnot, um, the mm -hmm. compression garments. Um, and another thing is uh, um, sometimes patients would come in and, you know, they didn't want to wait for their BBL. So they went and they got injections into their, uh, like a sculpture injected, injected into their buttock to, you know, make it bigger. And I wouldn't advise doing that. I would save your money um, because one, it's very short term. And two, it actually creates uh, scar tissue into the buttock area where we're injecting. So it's not the easiest thing to do. And then some surgeons will turn, will turn you down because of that. So mm. uh, I would keep that in mind if you're thinking about, you know, your, your quick fix before, if you're on that three month waiting list and you want a quick fix, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <sighs> but I think Doors. it's a growing trend and uh, there's going to be more of it coming up. And, you know, and maybe the trend, like any other trend, like hair trends and fashion trends, maybe one day it'll be the opposite way. And so we're, we're becoming, people will be coming back for reversal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I mean, didn't they have a, re they had like a recent, uh, they had like a recent photo of uh, I think it was Khloe Kardashian and her white uh, jumpsuit. 
Did you see that recently? No. And I'm it was like her. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they've recently posted about her, um, you know, like a few months ago or a year ago with a larger buttock. And then now recently in a more recent picture and a white jumpsuit, <laughs> it's gone down. So she lost some of her butt. So oh, you never know where the trend will be going. Um, but I think that uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot had it right in 92 when he said, uh, <laughs> when a girl walks <laughs> into the itty bitty oh, yeah. waist and a round thing in your face. Yo, so I think, I think it's going to be up, up and coming. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Doris, for joining us on the program uh, and sharing this information with us and our listening audience. Um, we know that it is vital and we do want people out there making informed decisions and being as safe as possible if you're going to have this procedure done. So thank you very much for your time, for your energy. Um, yeah, we definitely and we will definitely have you back. It's like our resident um, thank you for having me. This resident surgeon awesome. on the show. <laughs> thank you. For also, having me. I want to thank my man Giorgio oh. squeezing us into his busy schedule. We got it done. <laughs> Um, the ER doc word man telling other people about uh, their busy schedule stuff oh nah man Trust, we're, we're all hustling I know we're all hustling and making things happen so it's always appreciated you know when I see my health and Harlem fam uh, also ladies and gentlemen we want to thank Angela Harden Tina Dixon at WHCR our general manager and production manager respectively also we want to shout out the rest of the WHCR family um, out there and ladies and gentlemen as we say each and every week this show is dedicated to the memory of miss gloria thomas harlem take